following is a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Well, if you have got a Bible, you'll want to open them to Psalm 62. The passage is also printed for you in your worship folder. And welcome once again to Trinity Grace. We are so glad that you're here, both of those of you that are here in the gym and also those that are tuning in from home. And today we're picking back up in our summer series, looking at the Psalms. And like we've mentioned in weeks past, the Psalms are really a beautiful book that show us what it looks like to express the full breadth of human emotion in our Christian lives. In the Psalms, we see joy and celebration. We see questioning and doubt. We see lament and longing. This book is really a gift from God, and we would be impoverished without it as we seek to follow Jesus in this fallen world. And our psalm this morning, the one we're going to look at today, is one that encourages us to trust. It's a psalm of trust. In fact, it expresses such trust that you'll notice that there's not a single request or petition made from David in this psalm. It's simply a psalm that expresses trust in God, that proclaims and confesses who he is. And it practically shows us what it might look like for us to trust in our lives. So with that in mind, you follow along as I read from Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. This is God's word and he gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. When I was young, growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, my family would take summer vacations to a nearby lake just outside of Hot Springs, Arkansas, about a three or four hour drive away. And my extended family would all descend upon this motel type resort on the shores of Lake Washita, where we would spend the week swimming and fishing, skiing and tubing. My grandfather had a speedboat at the time, and it was such a magical week for me when I was a kid. Being with family, no real schedule to keep. All I wanted to eat was right there in the cafe at the motel, spending lots of time on the water through the week. And I remember those days on the lake. It was hard to pull me off the boat. I love to perch myself up on the front of the boat, kind of Titanic style on the bow, as we cut through the water. And I would do this for hours on end. 
It was hard to get me off the boat during those weeks. I would spend a majority of the day on the boat, staying on as we drop people off and pick people up through the day. I was there. Well, as you know, being on the water can be a bit unstable though, right? The water isn't solid. And so what happens over the course of the week is your body gets used to the waves and the rocking after a while. In fact, by the end of the week and the evenings, long after I had gotten off the boat, I had the sensation of still being in the water. It was hard to sleep, hard to eat. Everything would be swaying and I couldn't make it stop by the end of the week there at the lake. My body and my mind had grown so accustomed to being on the choppy water that I'd forgotten what it was like to stand on solid ground. And it's a great image for what we often experience in our lives, I think. So much of our life is rapidly moving and changing. So much feels unstable that often we grow unfamiliar with what solid ground feels like. If you stop and think about it for a minute, much of our lives isn't solid. Much of our lives is choppy. If you were to take stock and to survey the circumstances of your life this morning over the past decade, for instance, What you'd recognize is instability. What you would recognize is disappointment and joy. You'd recognize victories and sorrows, surprises. Life is rapidly moving and changing. A decade ago, did you think that you'd be where you are right now? In the job that you have, in the city in which you live, at the church that you're attending, Over the course of a decade, most of us have experienced different cities, moving from homes and friends that we love, job losses, health issues that have changed our lives, growing children, difficult children. We've experienced milestones worthy of celebration, anniversaries, birthdays, graduations. We've experienced things we'd rather forget, arguments with our spouse, loss of friendships, struggles that we never envisioned ourselves battling. So much of life is unsolid. We often have lots of questions. It feels choppy. Nothing seems sure. And we can grow used to feeling tossed by the waves. And it's not unlike what David was feeling when he wrote this psalm. I mean, just by reading it, you get the sense that David was experiencing difficulty. He was undergoing uncertainty in life. David was experiencing unsolid footing. I mean, it's clear from the psalm that David had lots of questions and nothing externally was really stable or solid. And you can tell that stress was high in David's life. Just take a look at what he writes in verses three and four. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Look, David in this psalm is experiencing uncertainty in life. He feels unsure when he looks around. There are people who want to take advantage of him while he's weak. They want to see him fall from his high position. And it's not unlike what we often feel when we experience external circumstances that can overwhelm us. Often feeling like they seem to come when we're down, when we're weak. Often feeling that they're going to bring us even lower. We can resonate with David's anxiety and worry, his uncertainty and insecurity. And what we see from this psalm is that in the midst of life's uncertainties, in the midst of what feels like an anxious, insecure season, David finds rest and security by trusting in God. David shows us in this psalm what 
that while life might feel unstable and unsure, God is stable, God is sure, and that we can lean our full weight of trust on him. And that's really the big idea for the morning. We can trust God. God is stable and we can lean our weight into him. Through this psalm, God invites us to rest. He invites us to experience deep security. He, he plants our feet on solid ground as we trust in him. And in Psalm 62 through David, we see what that trust looks like. It's modeled for us and we're invited to emulate David's experience to make it our own. And as we discuss trusting God this morning, we're going to look at this psalm by asking three questions. First, who do we trust? Second, how do we trust? And third, why do we trust? So who, how, and why? First, let's ask, who do we trust? Well, we see David start this psalm with an affirmation of who he trusts. The first two verses reveal that David is leaning the weight of his soul upon something. These verses reveal where he's looking for stability and security and rescue. Look at what David says in these verses, verses 1 and 2. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Look, David talks about how his soul waits for God, how he looks to God for salvation, how God is his rock and his fortress, how God provides stability in David's life. And when David mentions salvation in these verses, he is talking about what we might call Small S salvation. Small S salvation, not necessarily big S salvation. Big S salvation refers to how God comes to forgive us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And little S salvation refers to God's general rescue, his mighty acts of redemption and protection in a person's life. And here... David is talking about the fact that he relies on God alone for rescue and protection. Small s salvation. He relies on God alone for security. David is expressing his belief that God can help, that God can rescue, that God is worthy of his trust. And this is significant when you consider who's writing these words. Think about it. This is the king of Israel. At one point, This was the most powerful man in all the ancient Near East. I mean, it's so easy for you and I to think of David as some sort of Bible character, almost like a cartoon character in our minds that didn't experience the realities of life. But he actually walked to this planet. He was a man of enormous wealth, great influence. If he wanted it, he could have it. Power was unlimited. And this is worth remembering because it makes David's words in these verses that much more significant. David had the kind of resources, the kind of connections, the kind of power where he could have relied on himself. But we see that instead of relying on himself, David relies on God. We see it through the psalm. David is trusting in God because he alone is able to bring rest. In fact, David uses the term alone to describe his reliance on God four times in the first six verses of this psalm. He refers to God as a rock, a refuge, a fortress. David is solidly committing to trusting God and God alone with all of his life. And this trust we see is what brings true rest to his soul. And this rest is offered to us too this morning. 
We can truly have rest as we learn to trust more in the God who provides all that we need. Even in the midst of life's uncertainties and disappointments, and it's really that simple. It's that simple. But you and I know that living this truth out is anything but simple. The problem is, for you and me, is we look to other things for salvation, for small s salvation, to rescue us. We are prone to trust in other rocks, other fortresses. Sure, we might say that we trust in God alone, but functionally, we live in ways that reveal that we trust other gods in our lives alongside the true God. And it's important to recognize that we don't completely forget God. I mean, that's not the type of people that we are. We tend to place some of our trust in God. He's still a part of the picture for many of us on most days. Our problem is not that we don't trust God. It's that we're prone to add other things to our trust of God. We add on to our trust of God by trusting other rocks and fortresses alongside him. And we know the usual suspects, talk about them all the time, money and health, job security, marital connection, talent kids and family. And these are all good things. And as long as we experience these things in good measure, we often feel secure. I mean, money can be a pretty strong rock in our lives, can it? It can make us feel secure. But what happens when the job ends or the market takes a downturn? Health can be a really strong fortress. It can make us feel invincible. But what happens when the doctor finds something concerning during a routine visit? As we trust these false gods, we're asking them to provide things that they're not strong enough to give us. They may deliver for a while, but they can't bring lasting peace and security. It could all collapse in a second. Security and health. And as we rely on these false gods, we're really the ones who are making things happen. I mean, at the end of the day. And if we falsely believe that we have control in life, we're never going to have true rest. In this psalm, David shows us who he trusts in the midst of life's difficulties and circumstances. God alone, not God plus something else. God alone is David's rock, his salvation, his fortress, his refuge. David relies not in his resources, not in his talents, not in his political standing, but in God alone. David reminds us in this psalm that trusting God is enough. He's the one who can bring rest, and it comes as we recognize the one who has true power and control, the one who loves us and watches over us. So how do we move towards more of this trust in God? That'd be the next question to ask, right? How do we lean more of our soul's weight on this God who cares for us and promises to rescue us? Well, David reminds us that with all the uncertainties and insecurities we face in life, God is secure and solid. And this psalm forces us to ask the question, when you're feeling shaky and insecure, where do you go? What do you do? Often when we're feeling insecure and unstable, if you're like me, you might take a peek at your retirement portfolio so you can feel a little bit more at ease. Or we might clamp down by controlling what we can, our spouse, our children. Maybe you clean the house. Maybe we put more and more hours in at work. Maybe we double down on social media with posts believing that we're actually doing something when we're really not. We need to be reminded this morning that we don't have to make things happen. 
In fact, some of you have learned the hard way that power and control are an illusion. There's no such thing as power and control. Only God has power and control. And if we think we have it, we're living a deluded life. And David calls us back to trust and reliance on God through this psalm. And as we trust and rely on him, we'll experience true rest in our lives. And so if this psalm is calling us to experience rest as we trust in God, how do we do that? How do we cultivate trust in our lives? If God is the one who has to act, is there any part that you can play? Well, I think this psalm points us to some action steps so that we might realize more and more of this rest as we journey through this life. And the first thing we see David do in the midst of turmoil is meditate. David meditates. We see it in verse 5, where David takes the same exact truth from verse 1, but in verse 5, he applies it to his own heart. David knows verse 1 is true, but he needs to tell himself again in verse 5. He needs to meditate on who God is and what God promises to do. You know, meditation is biblical. Oftentimes we have, you know, uh, I guess... Um, Far East connotations when it comes to meditation. But meditation is something that we see throughout the Psalms. It's thinking about God and filtering our life circumstances through our relationship with Him. And in the midst of anxiety and stress, it's helpful to turn our attention to God. I mean, David could have continued thinking about his tough luck or his bad circumstances or the danger of those seeking his life. But instead, he reminds himself of who God is. He has to speak to himself. And you notice that as the psalm progresses, he stops looking at his circumstances in relation to himself, and he begins looking at his circumstances in relation to God. As this paradigm shifts in this way, as faith is increased and he's able to live faithfully in the present, meditation is the first way we can begin to experience rest and cultivate trust in our lives. The second thing we see David do in Psalm 62 is pray. David prays. In the midst of his hard circumstances, he pours his heart out to God, who's his refuge, and he invites us to do the same. Prayer is bringing our anxiety, our worries, our fears to God, telling him about it and asking that he would reorient our focus. In many ways, prayer is asking God to act on our behalf and then trusting him once we've presented our requests. Prayer is an act of dependence. It's acknowledging that God has power and control. I don't have those things, and so I better ask him to utilize those things for my good. Prayer is a stress reliever in some ways because what it does is it takes things off my plate and it passes his arm on to another. I get to move it on down the line. And there's a direct correlation between prayer and rest. And we verbally say prayer brings rest. And if you're anything like me, you'll go throughout a week and hardly pray at all. But when we do pray, we experience this rest that God promises. The more we engage in true prayer, pouring our worry and anxiety out to God, the more we will experience rest. And we're invited to tell God our pain, our worries, our hurt, not because he's unaware of these things. He knows them better than we know them ourselves. But because in telling him, we're actually expressing our trust and dependence on him. We pour out our hearts to God because we believe that he can do something about it. The only one who can rescue. The last thing we see David do in the psalm 
is encourage others to trust. After speaking to himself, what do you see him do? He turns and speaks to the people of God. Look at verse 8 where David says, Trust in him at all times, O people. The truth of who God is isn't only for David, it's for God's people too. David is showing us that we need each other if we're going to have any hope of trusting God. We can fortify each other's trust. We need to see each other believing. We need to see each other praying. We need to see God's work in each other's life. We need to hear one another singing and confessing our faith and our sin. We need neighborhood groups and Bible studies and friendships with each other so we can press on one another, so that we can invite each other to keep trusting. When hope is burning low for me, God can oftentimes use you to stoke the flames of trust in my own heart. So we see the ways that we can cultivate trust in our lives. We do it with meditation, reminding ourselves of who God is, with prayer, pouring out our hearts before God. We can trust God through community with one another. We can experience true rest as we trust God through these activities. So now that we've looked at who we trust, we've looked a little bit about how we trust. Now let's spend our final few minutes asking, why do we trust? Why trust God? And why not just accumulate more resources? Why not build up your network? Why not sharpen your gifts and skills and rely on those things alone? Well, we see why we should trust God in the last two verses. David summarizes his psalm at the end with these words, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. David trusts God because he knows God's character. That's why he does it. We're reminded by David that only God has the power and the love that we need. Power and love. Trusting in our resources, in our connections, in our talents won't bring peace and rest because they're not powerful enough and because they don't really love us. David reminds us that trusting in wealth in times of trouble is foolish. He says that in verse 10 where we read, If riches increase, set not your heart on them. They're a poor refuge because your money doesn't love you. We're also reminded by David that we can't trust in our connections or influence in times of trouble. He says that in verse 9, where we read, Those of low estate are but a breath, and those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. In other words, power and influence are connections. They're like vapor. It doesn't make a good fortress. These things aren't powerful enough to supply what our hearts desire. Compared to God, wealth and power and influence don't even register on the scales, is what this psalm says. We see the language used in verse 9 when David says, in the balances they go up, meaning that something is put on the scale that is much weightier than them. You know, in that day and age, scales determine legitimacy. If you claim to have something of value, it would be placed on the scales to ensure that what you had was authentic and substantial. And David is reminding us that God is so much more weighty, so much more substantial than wealth or influence or connection or personal control that David encourages us to wait on him, to trust in him at all times in our trouble and distress. But David had experienced God showing up time and time again. And if we stopped and took stock of our lives, 
so have we. Sure, we've all experienced seasons of sorrow or disappointment or doubt. But as we survey our lives at a 30,000 foot level, we can point to very specific ways that God has shown up. Very specific ways that God has cared for us over the years. And David ends this psalm reminding God's people that God is strong and that God is loving. And this is really our great hope, that he's strong and loving. It's the reason that we can lean our entire weight upon God because he loves us and because he's powerful. And we can never separate those two characteristics from one another. There would be no salvation without God's love. If God had power, but not love, then his power and strength would completely undo us. If God had love, but not power, then we might feel good, but we'd be defenseless. There'd be no salvation, no rescue for us without God's power and God's love. And we're reminded this morning that God is all powerful and compassionate, and it's why he's able to rescue us. It's why he's worthy of our trust. And we've seen it on display, this power and love. We've seen it most clearly. You and I have. David hadn't yet seen it, but we have in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Where God himself comes into the world to demonstrate his love for us and to demonstrate the power that he had to defeat sin and evil and even death itself. We see God's love and power meet perfectly on the cross where Jesus laid down his life because of his love for us and exerted his power in putting sin and evil and death to shame. And in this fallen world, you and I don't always see God's hand. It's not always perfectly clear what God's orchestrating in our lives. We don't always sense God's love and feel it the way that we'd like to. But this psalm, the life of Jesus and our past experiences remind us that God loves us with a steadfast love and God is powerful to rescue. And we can't say that about any other thing in life that we trust. So this morning we're invited to once again, lean our weight upon the one who is powerful and the one who loves us this morning. And as we trust him, this psalm, God's word, promises that we will find rest for our souls. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for the way that you've invited us to find rest, to come to you so that we might experience the rest that you long to give. And we pray this morning that as we place our trust in you, as we renew our trust with you, that you would bring our souls deep rest, that you would bring us life and wholeness security and significance as we look to you and you alone. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.